lights down Hand over my crown Hand over my heart I do this for my town I do this for my crowd So turn me up real loud My time, my time None of you people can tell me to stop Hello everybody, welcome to this week's episode of MGR Unplugged. Today we're back to our basics, back to our e-commerce tactics. Um, I think it's a good time to, we're approaching the, um, well, we are actually now in the last quarter of the year and we're getting ready to go into heavily into the uh, holiday season and shopping season. Uh, in fact, we last week we said that um, Amazon just announced their Prime Day coming up next week, 13th, 14th, and I just read this morning that Best Buy is also having, I think they call it Black Friday or something, but they're going to have Black Friday or whatever they call it, pretty much matching Amazon's Prime Day. So bottom line is that a lot of our, even our clients are getting very, very uh, heavily into the e-commerce marketing at this point, trying to accelerate it as much as they can and be ready because this holiday season is going to be very spread and it's going to have to be... You're going to have to be very agile to react to market conditions and COVID conditions and everything else in in addition to the fact that we have the election in about three weeks now. So without further ado, we'll get started with this, David. And um, first of all, how are you doing today, buddy? Very good. How are you? Good, good, good. Um, So all e-commerce for today, we're not going to stay, we're not going to discuss any politics or anything. I know we, we had a vice presidential debate yesterday, which I did watch, but... We're going to leave that aside for now, and we're going to uh, focus on e-commerce. So one of the, um, you know, I, I call this e-commerce, e-commerce tactics, and I wanted to get a little bit back to basics because one of the things that I think you and I talk sometimes when we, we both talk to clients a lot, it's a little bit of a disconnect or misunderstanding between um uh, you know, having an idea or deciding to do something and how quickly it can be implemented and especially how quickly the client expects to get results. And uh, I think we live in a, in a world of instant gratification, but that doesn't always work in the world of e-commerce. They always hear these uh, success stories, so this company did this and did that, but then realize that it took them years to get to where they are now. So um, let's let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, as far as uh, how would you approach or how do you hear our some of our questions and clients and, and prospective clients that we have when, when they call us, basically, or we set up an appointment for a consulting appointment from where they are now, and what are their expectations as far as where they want to be or how soon? What is the... Uh, disconnect that you find there how soon they expect to like like basically uh, from idea to launching basically and being successful and profitable well that's a big difference launching is one thing i mean launching it just depends on the scope of the work how many Mm -hmm. products the brand everything but uh, profitable? Oh, I mean, some companies take years. I mean, that's a whole different Yeah, question. some companies never do it. Uh, yeah, some companies never become profitable. Some take years. But, um, um, yeah, I mean, it's like anything. It's no different than any other business, right? It's like it takes a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of conscious effort to make it happen. It's no different than any other business. I think the problem is that there's too many, um, for years, like, stupid e-commerce gurus and people who like promote that are basically snake oil salesmen that promote like oh get rich quick type things and that's just not the case right like like i've told you this before it's like if i told you most people when they think about 
if I told you uh, start a construction business and then within a couple of years, you know, with a lot of hard work, you could be making good money. You'd say, yeah, but that sounds like a lot of work, a construction business. But if I tell you start an e-commerce business, you're like, oh, I can start making money tomorrow. Well, and well, I'm not saying that people can't make money quickly, but I'm saying that it's no different than any other business. It takes, especially now, I mean, there was like a, a point where a few years ago, uh, where ads were so cheap because I think the rest of the world, especially the bigger players, hadn't realized uh, the digital marketing success that they could have yet. And so ads were really cheap. And because of that, people were just whipping up stores and running ads and making money. Those days are long over. Like, like we talk, you know, you talk about like a gold rush. The mm -hmm. gold rush is done. Okay. There's no more gold rush. Now, there's still plenty of gold to be had, but it's not like you're just going to whip up a store and within a few weeks or a month just be making tons of money. That's just not how it well, works. Well, but that's the thing. I think this is one of the cases where I think the uh, technology or the uh, platforms um, uh, have given this, have actually emphasized this um, misunderstanding or misconception that you can be up and running and start getting revenues. Let's, let's forget about the profits, but start making revenues or getting revenues from your store pretty quickly. Like I remember <clears throat> back, you know, in the beginnings of the internet, uh, basically e-commerce didn't really exist. People were using the internet just for exposure and to have like an online catalog of their products or services, but everything was still being done or sold through a brick and mortar store office and things like that. Then once e-commerce started, then it was still complicated to create your online store. Uh, it, it required either custom software or custom programming. It was expensive. There weren't that many platforms out there. And then you have all the merchant gateways and the complications. So it was it, the barrier of entry was a little more difficult. So people kind of uh, saw that as, as as a little bit of a, something they didn't want to get into. Now is the opposite. Now we have platforms like uh, like WordPress with all the plugins. Like you have uh, WooCommerce, Shopify, obviously Amazon, just being a platform for sellers or resellers, and they've actually made it sound like it's so easy to just find a product or create a product and then just sell it. That it's no uh, different than if if you opened a brick and mortar store. Right. And I'm, if I came to you and said, hey, I have this amazing way that I'll help you set up your brick and mortar store uh, very seamlessly. I'll deal with all the city permits and fees and taxes and all the crap that needs to be done. And I'll get it done for you this in this all in one package. And then your store is ready to go. And that's basically what Shopify did for e-commerce or all these e-commerce uh, right. services. They eliminated all the friction. And so, so but that, but just be, but then it's like, but that doesn't mean you're going to make money, right? Then you can exactly. have a store, but who's going to that store? Right. How do you bring people to that it's like, store? It's like people, uh, and I see this because, uh, again, I was going to ask you, you, you talk to more prospects than I do. Um, I, I talk to obviously some of our, a lot of our existing clients, but you handle a lot of uh, the prospects that are consulting questions and things like that, which is great, but uh, but you probably get a lot of this. Like some, some people even ask us, uh, I want to sell something, can you find a product for me? And that's like a very, I mean, that's like a totally the wrong question to ask. Um, and some of the people, like you said, they hear from all these sales gurus, oh, you can just go to Alibaba, whatever, find a product, put your stamp, put your label, put your whatever thing, you get it for three bucks, you sell it for 10. 
and you make a difference. And they think there is like a, like you said, like a gold rush that everybody's going to make money. Okay, well, that happened maybe 10 years ago. That's when a lot of people started selling things on Amazon. And the ones that were successful are still being successful because by then they already established their rank. Uh, to do that today is basically close to impossible unless you have a very, very unique product that you actually develop or um, reinvent to fit your market and your audience and specifically what you're trying to sell. So, um, but again, it's just this disconnect that people think they, they don't even have an audience yet and they, or sometimes they don't even have a product and they expect to be able to just set up some kind of online store and sell and that's just not how things work, basically. So, um, I, I almost think that in that case, the the platforms that we have now, like the Shopify and WooCommerce and all that, have almost created that kind of misconception that you can be up and running. Yeah, it's true. Technologically, like you said, they, it's everything done for you. They, they've eliminated as many or as much friction as possible for you to set up your store, but you still need to have a, something to sell, basically, something that people actually want. You know, you need to be true to your customers and sell them something they actually need. Yeah. I mean, there's there's kind of two types of companies that we deal with mostly, and it's either A, they have uh, some type of unique product that they developed, um, and so they're more of a product-focused fo company, less of a brand-focused company, which is good because that means you can probably have quicker results if you have some type of differentiated product that, mm -hmm. that has demand. Um, but obviously, most of the time, those products can get copied too. So you still need to focus on brand. But you can get quicker results doing that. Then you have other companies who don't have differentiated products necessarily, uh, but they have um, a unique brand. And if you're trying to build a brand from scratch, I mean, it takes a long time to build brands. Right. I mean, it takes a lot of work and many, like, Anybody who thinks that you're going to build a brand in six months is out of their mind. It takes years and years and years. And depending on the type of brand, right? People these days, especially who want to do like high premium and luxury brands. I mean, do you know how long it takes to build a Gucci name? I mean, Gucci's been around for 50 plus years. You know, all these famous brands that we think of, they've been, the founders are long dead, okay? Most mm -hmm. of the time, the founders die before the, the companies even become successful, right. you know? Right. So this idea that you're just gonna build a brand from scratch uh, and in six months be doing seven figures, maybe if you have a ton of uh, ad budget or something, but most people don't have that money. Um, and then the other problem too is, I mean, we can kind of go in any direction here that too many people think that they can just buy customers um, and you can't buy customers anymore. Like it's just not affordable to put all your money towards advertising if you're not getting revenue elsewhere. Um, and I think a good rule of thumb when you're looking at companies, will this company be successful or not is, are they growing at a decent top line revenue clip and what's their um, organic versus paid uh, revenue split. Mm -hmm. And if you have more than 50% of your revenue coming from paid acquisition, you're probably in trouble and you need to work on your organic. And organic can mean anything. Organic can be new customers that you get through word of mouth, through organic social, organic whatever, any mm -hmm. type that you're not paying for basically. It can be repeat customers, customer loyalty. Like way too, I think way too many companies focus on top of funnel acquisition 
and not enough on customer loyalty, re-engagement, getting them to buy more things, getting them to, uh, it, obviously it very much depends on the product. If you have a, uh, recurring a, a sales, yeah, if you have a consumable product, then a, if you have a consumable product, 80% of your focus should be getting the people who have already bought from you to rebuy from you again and again, because they are the, the challenge is already done. The hardest part is getting somebody to buy it once. Once they've already bought it once, it's so much easier to get them to buy it again. Obviously, mm -hmm. if they don't like your product, okay, fine, whatever. But, um, but even if it's not a consumable product, even if you just have another type of brand that sells a variety of things, mm -hmm. um, not enough people focus on the re-engagement and building customer loyalty part of things. Um, but that's how you get, that's really how you make the money, right? You don't make the money on the first sale in most cases, right? Customer acquisition costs are just too high these days because you, you spend a ton of money to bring people in the door, but then once they're in there, they buy one thing when they could be buying five. And that's the problem that I think most companies aren't focusing enough on. And it's changing. I think the smart companies focus on it, but uh, uh, most people that I see not succeeding, it's because they're not getting those repurchases. They're not getting organic sales. They're focusing too much on the paid acquisition when at the end of the day, that's uh, it's tough. I mean, it's very hard. It's so competitive these days on Facebook and Instagram and all these uh, right, ad yeah, platforms exactly. to acquire customers. You know, customer so, acquisition costs keep going up and up and up. So, so back a little bit to the traditional commerce. Forget about e-commerce. Uh, normally, oh, and multi-channel. Right. So the, the path would be that you come up with a product or service, but let's focus on products for now, and. Um, and then you start doing all the marketing and advertising and multi-channel everything that is available to to sell your product to like you said you start top of the funnel which is more branding and everything else and the bottom of the funnel is when people actually the decision part when people convert and buy your product so the traditional commerce part or e-commerce is you develop a product that you research study and hopefully there's a a niche in the market or a need in the market for your type of product because the, you're fulfilling a little gap between what is out there and this other option, but then you're filling a gap that is another option that is new, enough differentiation between the existing products to, to be able to sell it. So you develop the product and then you start growing your audience in different ways, paid or organic, to sell the product. On the other side of the spectrum, you have the opposite where you actually develop your audience first and then you start selling them different merchandise and different products and that's what we uh sometimes we we refer to that as uh one of the direct-to-consumer type techniques where you are not you you become a little more of a media company where you develop a certain audience and there's companies that are that you will i'm sure you will mention that are very famous for having done that and then after they have a loyal audience they start developing merch and, and products that are for their audience but then you have a whole lot of spectrum of hybrids in between, you know, in this kind of, um, if you will, like linear commerce type, we also hear as far as how the, the transition goes from the product to the, to the audience and, and, and backwards. So what are, where are we now with this? Uh, like, like uh, things are moving rapidly. And I think the fact that a lot of people have had to buy things online these days, even people that were more, uh, fun of actually going to stores and enjoying the shopping experience now they had no choice but to actually buy online and then when i have to get those guys to either go back to the stores if they want to or maybe they like to buy online now so 
where are we in this? Where do you see the, the, the commerce or the e-commerce world moving towards in the, in the next 12 to 18 months? You think it's going to be um, still the traditional building the product and then finding the audience or building your audience or more like slowly building your audience and then starting developing products that match your audience? Both. It depends what your strength is. The reason why the audience first works so well is because most people are not product developers. Most people are not inventors, product developers. They don't know how to take something that already product development is very hard, very, it can be very expensive and very risky, right? Cause you can develop something new and spend a year plus working on it uh, and spend a lot of money and then have it be a total flop. And so that's the danger of product development. Now the, the, positive side of product development is obviously if it works then you're the only person in the market with that product and you can make a ton of money but it's very risky and most people don't know how to develop products so that's why the audience first approach works really well because you say all right we don't have differentiated products but we own an audience and so we have a direct sales channel that isn't costing us a lot of money um, like it would like a Facebook ad or something like that um, and that's why you see the audience first growing so much. Why do you think every damn influencer and creator these days is coming with their own products and brands and mm -hmm. merchandise? And uh, I mean, it's, that's why, because it's, it's, if, if you have an audience and what, I mean, I don't, you don't even need to have millions of followers. Like some of these people have, that's great for them. But like, if you just have an audience, depending on what you're selling, right? Like, let's say you want to, um, uh, resell, luxury watches or something like that and you have an audience of 10,000 people and all those people are affluent watch connoisseurs that's all you need if you have that audience you're gonna make a ton of money well, that, that, right that. so or, or hey if you're like um david dobrik last week launched his own uh cologne and perfume mm -hmm. line and uh, I don't know what the sales are so far or anything like that, but you know he has millions of followers, and so that, all it that, takes that is takes a small percentage the, uh, of them to buy, and he's gonna make a ton of money. Right. That's that's kind of the uh, the back, and this is not even new; it's actually fairly old. But the Kevin Kelly's thousand true fans, basically. Exactly. You 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 have an audience that you develop a thousand true fans that en endorse your product, that like your product, that we're going we're going to recommend your product to their to their own friends and 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 peers and all that, and then those two fans become your, your brand ambassadors and that's how you grow your, right. your audience as well. And then once you have that, then you can, like you said, you just develop a product or products. Right. The thing I actually think people don't discuss enough, um, is the value per audience member. Um, I think people are too focused on just big numbers, right? People want hundreds of thousands, millions of followers, right? right? But a lot of people who have those, I, I mean, there's, do you know how many Instagram models these days have 6 million followers or whatever? But that doesn't mean much because mm -hmm. they don't have the depth, right? It's the famous mile wide inch deep. They're not building actual engagement and loyalty with that audience. I, if you gave me the option of having um, a million followers on Instagram, but I had very little uh, engagement or loyalty from them or having 10,000 like affluent watch connoisseurs or something, I would take the 10,000 right. because I know, because what is the average dollar value of your audience? It's like, for example, um, one of my favorite examples is Bloomberg. 
the the terminal. Oh, the terminal, the subscription. They don't have that many customers. Bloomberg right. will never, I mean, they do, but not like, Bloomberg will never ever have 100 million uh, customers, right? That's not their goal. They sell a subscription. I think it's come down in price now because of comp competition. But back in the day, you pay $200,000 a year. So they don't need that many people, right? They have 10, I think they have, how many subscribers do they have? I think they have I don't know now. Like 80 or 100,000 people yeah, paying. Yeah, most of the major brokerage firms. I, I think they have 80 or 100,000 subscriptions at 100,000 a pop. That's a multi, multi-billion dollar company right there with less than 100,000 mm -hmm. subscriptions. Right. Meanwhile, you could have 10 million followers and not make that money that Bloomberg does with 100,000, right? So uh, the audience value matters a lot and it's something people don't think about enough. You don't, you only want people who are going to spend money with you. If they're not gonna spend money with you, um, you shouldn't, I mean, maybe it sounds harsh, cruel, whatever, but you shouldn't waste your time on them, basically. No, no, it's no harsh, it's reality. Um, I mean, that's basically, uh, even even for us, it's our approach, and we get a lot of people that right, just call like, us tire people kickers. People in or B2B something. get this. When I tell people in B2B this, right. they totally get it, right? Because we're an agency. Okay, if you listen to this podcast and you don't have a company or anything, awesome, go for it, it's free. But I, I can't spend a lot of time talking to you if you don't have a company and you're not going to pay us thousands of dollars in ad fees basically every month, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's how we make our money. And so we know that out of all the people watching this, only 1% of them actually could be our clients. And that's who our main focus is. But that should be the same for every business, right? Because most businesses, uh, and especially if you're starting small, like if, if you're Procter & Gamble, fine, you can go after a huge mega market and make very little money, uh, but do massive, massive volume. But if you're just starting out and you don't have a lot of money, then you need to make money, maybe not from day one, but at least within the first three to six months in most cases, right? And the way you do that is with high gross margins. And how do you have high gross margins? By having a very limited audience. Because if you try to go mass appeal, you're not gonna be able to have those high gross margins. You need to have a very specific audience that you're targeting. And then from there, sell them products that you can get at a, where you have very low cost of goods compared to your okay. retail price. So so we're looking now at the, uh, at the um one side of the spectrum model, which and is build your audience. To, to finish that point though, too many people are focused on the big broad in the beginning. You can always expand later. This mm -hmm. is what yeah, every exactly. brand does. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. Like Ralph Lauren is a classic example. Ralph Lauren started as a luxury uh, clothing company. In fact, they started with ties and then they expanded to other items. And now you can buy polo shirts and whatever for 20, 30 bucks, right? And they've expanded a ton and they're a mm. mass market company and mm -hmm. they do billions in sales every year, but they started much smaller. Ralph right. Lauren started making luxury ties and that was it. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't want to spend $200 on a tie, great, you're not my customer, right? And then you can expand later. Focus on making money first and then you can worry about expanding. So, so basically what we're talking now about uh, getting your audience, obviously, is supposed to developing the product and then building your audience. Let's say that we focus on the building your audience first and then um, developing with, obviously, with some kind of product in mind, whether it's a luxury item or, or clothing item, fashion, whatever. Uh, but what value or how do you convert that audience into a, a potential customer? 
um, that will be a loyal customer too. So at what point do you make the transition to say, hey, we provided, we develop all this um, information and content for you, the audience, about this lifestyle or this watch information or this multimedia campaign that you are basically getting your audience to read about your information, your your niche, not so much about your product. And then you say, now we have this product to sell. So at what point do you cross the bridge between having your audience and then start selling them products without, um, you know, how you cross the bridge, basically? Um, there's no right answer. I mean... Uh Like, obviously, the celebrity, like, like, to give you an example, the celebrity route is very simple. Like you said, I mean, there are celebrities that, obviously, they have an audience, they have a lot of fans. Forget about 1,000 true fans. They have millions of true fans. And then you see celebrities that sell tequila or they sell cosmetics or they sell fashion, they sell apparel, all that stuff. I mean, lots of names from, from the rock of the top end of whatever he sells, even tequilas or something, to uh, Gwyneth Paltrow selling cosmetics and basically everything else. So, But celebrities have already that audience built uh, but for a non-celebrity person, a normal person, business person that says, okay, I, uh, for example, I could tell you, I would love to develop like automotive products, high-end automotive products for exotic brands. And I love racing. I love race cars. I love exotic cars, all that stuff. So, and I have a lot of ideas and I have actually a lot of connections in that kind of world. So I have a little bit of an audience already that I could just kind of start consolidating via so, newsletter, subscriptions, whatever, and so, then start developing products that say, hey, they already know me, they trust me, and then say, hey, you know what? I developed this part yeah. of this so, service or this something for you. So if you, you have loyal audience members that trust you, um, then you don't, I mean, that's what you need, right? So it, it, it is very much a case-by-case -case basis of you having to understand your audience and knowing but like if, if you build an automotive uh, brand where basically uh, you give tips on whatever right whatever your niche is within automotive and then you basically say hey guys a lot of you guys have been complaining about this certain part that you can never get it or it never works or whatever maybe it's a type of wing or a spoiler or whatever and you say i've taken your guys's feedback and basically created mm -hmm. a better version i have a new wing that's going to work great right and it this is why and you can give all the you know technical explanation whatever to your audience and then basically say and it's for sure now and and that's it right and right. if they trust you and you say i made this product literally based on feedback from my audience exactly you're gonna have a high success rate now if all of a sudden you came in when it doesn't work is when you see kind of quote unquote sellout type things where it's like um, the famous like like mobile game mats. You'll see this mm -hmm. on a lot of YouTubers and stuff where it's like, you know, like imagine if all of a sudden we said, we'll be right back. And we say, look at this mobile game. And it's yeah. like, okay, it's pretty inauthentic. I think our audience probably knows neither of us are playing, you know, this stupid mobile game app and that this company just paid us to do it. And hey, at the end of the day, people want to get their money, they can get their money, right? But um, if, if the product makes sense with your audience and your brand, then I think there is no right or wrong time. It just has to be, you have to be thoughtful about it, mm -hmm. right? I, I, you can't be, um, you don't want to be constantly just 
throwing it in people's faces, right? Like you have to have the balance of uh, quality, valuable content and the selling, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's no different than marketing. It's like you want to have the, the the soft sell and then the hard sell. Right. Um, the soft sell is just basically mostly branding your your normal content and then occasionally you say hey we have this product available for sale um it if the product and the brand mesh with the audience there shouldn't be a friction there the friction comes when you start trying to cram things in that don't make sense well, yeah and, and, and at the end of the day is if the product is good enough as they say that it'll sell itself you know i mean uh, uh yes and no yeah yeah yes and no but i mean we we but always have we have examples of the, the truth is uh, there's, there's pr- tons you of, need a pretty remarkable product for that to be yes the case. and we have a most lot people of, don't have remarkable we products. have a lot of uh, big exceptions for that and 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 you know, like like one of the challenges that you have is that products become commoditized pretty quickly. As you develop something, then everybody else, if it's unique enough, everybody else is going to copy and all that stuff. And then they come up with cheaper and cheaper versions. I mean, I always remember... Well, that's why brand matters. Right, exactly. And that's why I, I always remember, like, for example, uh, mobile phones or cell phones. You know, I mean, you have the, the brick phone that you know, Michael Dallas was having in Wall Street and people, oh my God, this guy's talking on the phone from the beach and making closing deals and all that stuff. And it was huge. And then to get one of those, I remember I had one of those and I had like a little side thing with the phone. It was super expensive. Data rates were, or connection rates were super expensive and all that stuff. And it was a show-off thing more than actually using the phone. And now everybody has a phone and, and it became more of a commoditized thing. Except for Apple, when when, right, when, but I mean, when Apple came Samsung with the iPhone, copied everything from Apple. Right, but that's the but thing. People when, still buy when, iPhones. When so. all the flip phones and everything were just basically flip phones and phones, then they become they became smartphones when they become you know like like right. uh, all the ones that were developed. Everybody copied Apple. Every cop, everybody copied uh, but, the but, iPhone. Uh, but one exception is that when Apple came or when when uh, when Apple came with the iPhone. The iPhone, instead of being a cheaper version, because again, uh, being commoditized and saying, oh, we created something that is better, but actually low cost, which is the tradition with commoditized products, they actually did the opposite. We said, we created something that is so much better that we're going to charge you so much more. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, the, the, when the iPhone came out, it was right. I don't like much using, more. I don't like using Apple as an example. I know, example it's, it's, a, it's an outlier. Steve Jobs is maybe the greatest product person of, of but, all time. But the so, same thing happened to like the Teslas or the cars and sure, all that. Sure, but like I said, you're using examples of company. And there's nothing wrong. Listen, if you're a product genius, you should use that talent to your full ability. The truth is most people are not product geniuses. This is why they do the audience route. Because for most people, like I said, they don't know how to develop But I was products. giving you that as an example of a product right. that is so good that becomes a fashion statement and yes. people sell And guess it. what? Companies are trying to copy Tesla now, but that's an example where their product development was so ahead that even years later, mm-hmm. most companies have not caught up to them. Right, um, even major manufacturers. Right, of even major manufacturers have not caught up to them. Really now, there is still only one mega mass-produced mid-market car Mm -hmm. in sedans, and that is the Tesla, right? All these other companies are still working on it in development, whatever GM is investing in Ponzi schemes, and they still can't figure it out. (laughs) Uh, But my point is, product development is really hard and really expensive. You know, Elon Musk almost went broke starting Tesla. So, um, uh, you know, Apple... First of all, Apple was already a multi-billion dollar company when they made the iPhone. So they had the the development resources to do it. Oh, and they were led by Steve Jobs, the greatest product person of all time. So, um, yes. Can you do it? Yes. 
If it's your first company and you don't have a lot of money, I'll be honest, don't try to develop a new product. Develop a brand. Because the product development is an extreme high risk and most people don't have the ability to do it. Or if you can raise a bunch of money, then do it. But right, if right. you're bootstrapping, don't try to develop products. That's why I wanted to circle back to the beginning of, of our statement saying the biggest disconnect or mis misunderstanding now is that, again, if you go back to those days, you had to develop a huge kick-ass product that was significantly better than anything out there. Uh, then promote it. There was no, no nothing else to, uh, you know, to make your life easier. Or that promoting it is a group pro a group product that people want to have and share and show off and everything else. It becomes some status symbol of your uh, lifestyle or anything. Or uh, basically, your product would not be successful. Like like BlackBerry was very successful in the business world, and then it was totally taken over by Apple on iPhones and things like that. Now, again. Today, because that barrier of entry is so much easier because everybody can just basically set up a Shopify store, a WooCommerce store, a WordPress website, and things like that, it's like they think, oh, I can develop something and then just get it done. So that's the that's the key of the disconnect that I wanted to get to, thinking that the principles of commerce or e-commerce you do it online are the same. You need to develop a product and a customer or a customer for your product, and that hasn't changed. What has changed is that now there's less friction to get from A to B, but you still need something that is Ultimately, that provides value to your customers. The, the, you need to create demand. And right. Whether you're selling it in a store or selling it online, doesn't matter. You need to create demand. Exactly. And how you create demand is either you have a really unique product that's brand new, very difficult to do. If you can do it, go for it. You can be very, very successful. Most people can't do that. So the other way you do it is you need to build audiences that would be interested in your product and you need to develop a brand with a unique positioning for that audience. That's how you do it. Perfect. Perfect segue. So <clears throat> let's focus on the audience size. So that's basically customer acquisition. How much effort or money should a company, a new company startup put into the customer acquisition, whether it's organic or paid? Organic obviously takes longer. You start developing a lot of content. Well, uh, it depends. So you talk about the the scale of linear commerce. There's like a there's a spectrum, right? right. You have the, the one end of the spectrum where they don't develop audience at all and they just focus on product, right? right? I'm talking. And yes. then you on the opposite spectrum is you have pure media companies um, that start just as media companies, no products at all and then start selling products. Right. And that's the spectrum. And then in the middle, you have a lot of examples of companies who, like um, Glossier would be an example of a company that, uh, well, they did start as a blog, but basically they very much do a lot of media, but they also sell a lot of products and they're kind of in the middle there. Um, a company that would be on the opposite end of the spectrum would be like um, Food52, which we talked mm -hmm. about that got acquired, right? right? Where they were purely a food media company, a culinary media company and then they started selling products barstool is a very famous one that a lot of people talk about mm -hmm. uh that basically they were just a media company that's all they did and now they're selling tons of products they launched their own gambling app recently mm -hmm. uh because they got acquired by pen sports um th those are examples of the opposite end of the spectrum um you don't have to be a hundred percent media play um but you definitely if, if I were investing in a brand today and they were saying, we're not on the product development side, we're just trying to start a brand, and they told me that their primary mode of acquisition was going to be paid, I would not touch them, basically. It would be a no. 
Um, they would need to show me how they're going to generate at least half their revenues. Like I said, they sh that split. If you're not generating at least half your revenues through organic, um, you're probably in trouble. Either that or you need to raise a lot of money, basically. You mm -hmm. need that, and that's some companies do it. When you hear like all these companies raise right. $20 million, yeah, they just pour that into ads. You know, that's what a lot of them do. Mm -hmm. um, and that's fine if it works, but most of the time it doesn't. You know? Yeah, obviously at the end of the day, you're selling, uh, you have a media company, you're making some revenues through advertising that you become a publisher of advertisers, but at the same time, when you're developing your product, then the ultimate goal is that you start converting those, that audience into consumers, and then they buy your product. So, but what would be the, let's, let's focus on the media company approach where you develop some kind of media brand over time and then how you drive potential customers to your brand or to your content where they're not aware of it. What is a better technique? Is it via, like for example, you, you, you mentioned Barstool and all those and you're more familiar with them, but how do those companies drive consumers to their uh, content, being media, when they start? Oh, do I mean, they, where, where, how do they do the customer acquisition and what will be the customer acquisition cost? I mean, you need to put a, a, a value. Well, Barstool is great because they, you talk about audience loyalty and engagement. I mean, theirs is through the roof. And so they have an audience that just loves them and wants to support them. So when they say, hey, we have a new product, so they sell lots of, they're getting into lots of different alcohol beverages now. Uh, they have a new gambling app that's but a Barstool. But that's now, but how did it start? I mean, right now they do have a, lo a loyal audience, but when right. Barstool was in its infancy, did in the they get it? They didn't make money. And then they started right. making some money through sponsorships and stuff. Okay, so. And then they started selling the first thing, which everybody does, is merchandise, so t shirts and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Um, and then they started getting into alcohol, and now they're expanding even more. Um, and they've had a few that worked really well. They worked the famous Pink Whitney that a lot of people talk about, mm -hmm. that's them. That's right. wildly successful. They now are partnering with, it's similar to White Claw. It's a competitor of White Claw. It's um, uh, High Noon, I think is what it's called. And it's basically a competitor to White Claw. It's like an alcohol seltzer. And uh, I think that will work really well because White Claw is extremely popular with their demographic. And they're basically creating their own competitor version of that. And now they have their bar stools gambling app mm -hmm. that right. launched a few weeks ago. And it was at the top of the app store. And so that's a case where their audience is happy to pay them money, right? And they also are great at merchandising as far as um, creating uh, IP that sells really well. The famous Saturdays are for the boys. You know, mm -hmm. that was them. Call Her Daddy is huge now, too. Right, so right. they, I mean, Barstool, you talk about, like, who's doing it the best. It's probably them right now as far as pure building a really loyal audience that spends a lot of money with them, Barstool's mm -hmm. doing it great. But there's lots of examples of it. Right. Um, but but how do you do it? They do it very direct. They're literally like, this is our product, go buy it, right? Mm -hmm. And if you support us, you'll buy our products. You can do it that way, that works awesome. Another way that companies do it, um, that I'm seeing more now, is you create but the, well, one second, that okay. model that you said, it basically is kind of almost putting responsibility on your audience to say, you like us and you want us to continue doing what we're doing that you enjoy, you need to support us so we can 
continue doing business and and yeah it's, it's almost like when you when you have a tv show and then they ask the audience to say hey you like this tv show to continue and not be cut by the network uh send a letter yeah to i don't think they do it as much they used to do it more like that i think i don't think they do it because now everybody knows now they're, they're, big, obviously. they're a very successful company right. but um they just know how to build excitement around mm -hmm. everything they sell you know they know how to make everything that they sell seem like the greatest thing ever uh, they even do things like events where uh, they have like they the one thing that I thought was brilliant that they did that they haven't done because of COVID now is um, rough and rowdy, which yeah. is basically like boxing kind of slash MMA fights for just fans mm -hmm. and literally fans can sign up and they have weight divisions and everything. And literally, it's two bozos in a ring fighting. And it's unbelievably entertaining, I got to tell you. And they have some fucking weirdos on there. And they, they I know but that they, they purposely they, choose weirdos, too. I know, but they don't have any pros or anything. They're all no, like, no, no, uh, it's no pros. It's just, all amateur fighting. Yeah. And they sell out arenas. Yeah. And it's yeah, pay-per-view to yeah. watch it. And it's really successful. So they know how to do... Their merchandising and monetization is some of the best in the business. Mm. And that's why everybody talks about well, them all the time. What, a hundred million dollar company or? Oh, that's what they got bought for. They got, what, what did they get bought for? hundred something? Yeah, yeah. I, I said it when they got acquired. I said Barstool's worth a billion dollars, if not more. Guess mm -hmm. what? Penn bought them. Their market cap's up three billion since they bought mm -hmm. them. Despite the fact that their casinos have been closed all fucking year, their yeah. market cap's gone up three billion. While every other casino holdings company is Yeah, everybody was wondering the, the timing tank. of this purchase and actually save them because Barstool has been doing oh, great yeah. when the casinos have been closed. So, um, But um, the other way that people do it, so that's the direct way. These are our products, buy them, very simple. The other way is building media companies and then building a separate brand. So Barstool sells a lot under the Barstool brand, right? You could build, uh, if, if Barstool wanted to, an alternative approach would be having the Barstool brand and then having... Um, whatever like uh like like say with pen and then they just promoted pen's uh uh gaming app their their gambling app um and they didn't really say that oh we own this it's just basically promoting it um that's another method right and that's kind of more of an organic it depends i think that works really well in luxury right so for example if you wanted to build your own mini um publication um in some way around a certain luxury uh, group of items and then you basically within let's let's say you have a newsletter about um, luxury handbags right and so you write about mm -hmm. Birkin bags and Gucci bags and all these different bags right and then you throw your own brand in there with them and I have David's bags but I don't say that it's my company right then you can build brand affinity and affiliation and if you're priced the same and you talk about them the same way as you talk about these other bags you can build brand value in that way um, and so that's another approach that companies take so it just depends there's no right answer it just depends what works Understood. for your company so let me ask you um subscriptions versus memberships for a lot of the um dtc companies that we know and that we work with um those are two models that they really enjoy because of the customer loyalty that you get with that subscription obviously is more impersonal you just ask people to subscribe to your content and again you they subscribe to your content because they find value with it and they find the subscription cost oh are you talking about paying for content or or subscription like repurchasing well products? um both i mean subscription to whatever product or service you have 
or a membership, which is a little more personal. Like a subscription, the way I see it is you pay for something, whether it's content, newsletters, things like that, or products you subscribe to basically uh, get something every month or whatever, or even a magazine or, or a product, a food product. And then it just comes to you. There's little connection. You basically subscribe because you get a better deal by the, by the subscription or um, you just want to simplify your life and say, okay, I'm going to subscribe instead of going every month and buying something. And I find value in this subscription. If it's content, obviously, you, need, you find value to say, yeah, I want this newsletter or this content to come to me. Memberships are a little more um, intricate. Obviously, memberships means that you have a little more personal connection with your customers because they are members. And the member has, like American Express says, its own privileges. So you get initial value added um, promotions and content or products or whatever from the company. So are those two viable models for um, direct-to-consumer brands? I mean, is that a, a model that you say, at what point do you say, okay, I'm, I'm ready to, I have my e-commerce store, it's doing fairly well, I'm having a very stable amount of sales. At what point do I try to convince my customers that if they subscribe or they become members if I create this kind of membership tiers or something, it's gonna take my store to a next level. But, okay, but you're kind of talking two different things. Are they subscribing uh, yeah. for content or are they subscribing for products? Let's focus on products for now. I mean, it's actually both, but let's let's continue with the products. Let's subscribe to- I mean, to, the products, it depends on the product. Uh, let's put it, uh, let's, the typical subscription back in the days was a magazine, for example. You can go right, to right, the, right, but that's you can content. go to this, right? Okay. Are we talking well, about it's content and product, but let's just let's just, let's let's just say that you subscribe to a magazine. Okay. Forget about um, we can do food, we can do anything, but let's say that you subscribe to a magazine and you basically you don't subscribe. You go to the bookstore or the magazine store and you buy your magazine every week or every month and you pay four ninety five. And obviously, we know when you subscribe, you're paying like a buck. Okay, so when you find yourself buying that magazine that you like because it provides value to you and you think it's worth it, and you say, okay, I bought it already four months in a row, I can just subscribe to it, it comes to automatic to me. So you find that kind of loyalty and recurring sales, and the, and the, the company says it's worth it for us to cut our profit margin for a customer that is going to be with us for, for a long time. Mm -hmm. That's a subscription. But once you get the magazine, the, 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 the magazine doesn't do anything to you or the company doesn't do anything with you. The membership is different. You have a lot of things uh, back and forth with them. So that's in the magazine you know, example. You can subscribe to receive a product in your house every month. Like it could be a food product. You could be uh, whatever. you know, Or the membership model where it's more like you become a member and you have additional privileges within the product that you're looking into, whether it could be um, information, uh, I don't know, uh, special value added items, coupons, offers, things like that, you know, just because you're a member or maybe even discounts in affiliate restaurants if you are looking at food things, you know. So, but either way, one of the questions that I get a lot is, okay, I like to convert, um, our store or our e-commerce uh, business into something that I can ask people to subscribe and to or to become members, may create this membership deal where they get free shipping for whatever or loyalty points or whatever, you know. So at what point do you think a store is ready to jump that bridge and say, okay, let's start offering that and see if our customers like it? Um, if it's consumable goods, they can do it right away. Um, if it's food, they can do it right away. If it's non-consumable, um, 
you need a very specific strategy for that. Um, I'm a big fan of premium memberships. I think if people are looking to build a premium membership um, um, business, they should look at what the airlines do or were doing um, because airlines did it really well. Um, people who were like... Really? Um, I mean, that's, that's kind of one of the examples that I think people oh, I think were disappointed with the airlines because you have all these points no, and everything. People, people who... No, because the airlines, again, it's an example of most people are not their customer because most people don't fly enough. But people who are like frequent business travelers, people get obsessed with like their airline uh, privileges and clubs and stuff. And there's like an exclusivity and a luxury mm -hmm. to it. Oh, I get free upgrades to first class. Oh, I don't sit in the airport uh, yeah, lobby. I, I sit in a lounge. You know, they do it really you well. You get to board first and things like yeah, that. They yeah, they have, you can call and have a concierge. Like, like I think, um, like look at Delta, American Airlines. I think a lot of them do it actually really well. Um, but yeah, if, if you're doing obviously consumable, if you have food or something that people just eat and you could just set up a subscription, you don't need to wait. I mean, there's no waiting. Uh, just set up a subscription. If people want to subscribe, hey, it's good for you. If they don't want to subscribe and just buy individually, fine uh but if you don't have consumable products um and you have something that and you want to build a membership yeah you obviously have to come with a strategy of first of all what's what's the pricing what are you charging people um i think most people when it comes to memberships these days as far as even if it's just content i think they're way undercharging. um like i i see lots of people creating memberships for uh you know 10 15 dollars a month when i look at the who their audience is and i'm like this person could charge 50 dollars a month and their audience would pay that right and they're just way undercharging. um but yeah if you're gonna come with something for non-consumable goods can you give me an example i mean well i mean non-consumable is um a content basically it could be um newsletters it could be yeah but newsletters the model's there i mean the model look there's a million newsletters out there now right but I mean, well, make but, great content but, but that's my thing i mean charge when you for it. when you create a, a a newsletter that you start developing and you develop your audience and you see the click-through rate and the open rate and everything is pretty good people subscribe to it they like your content they even make comments, educated comments, feedback, and so forth, or even a YouTube channel, things like that. And then you say, okay, now I'm going to make this newsletter or this content only available to subscribers who are going to pay me $20 a month to have access to this exclusive content, whether it's the videos, whether it's a newsletter or something. That's a big question that customers have because they say, okay, I had this audience and I had X thousands of people that were opening my stuff. And now because I'm charging $20, now you find your true fans saying, oh, no, well, it's good, but it's not good for 20 bucks. Yeah, and we've seen, okay. and we've seen people mean, that... Yeah, it's hard. Right. Well, I know, but that's the question. I mean, we've seen people that are uh, uh, fairly successful that, that have tried that model, even with podcasts and things like that. And then they had to backtrack because they were losing a lot of audience just because they said, yeah, I like your podcast and I enjoy it, but... Uh, not as much as to be paying twenty dollars, you know. To make a better podcast or a better news. I mean, well, it's already. I mean, yeah. I mean, you can. I mean, always, it's, uh, it's uh, yeah. To get people to pay you twenty. Uh, what will that will that backfire? I mean, if you. If no, you it doesn't backfire if you have an audience that really values what you make. But if they don't value what they what you make that much, then it will backfire. I mean. Uh, I mean, it, look at look at um, even if you just want to look at more traditional media, look at something like the Financial Times. 
uh, they have great articles. I mean, I think they're some of the best in the business when it comes to finance mm-hmm. news. And they charge, what's their subscription price? Do you know it? Can you look it up? I forget. It's it's a pretty decent amount. I don't know. I, don't, I mean, I don't know exactly what it is. But it's, but it's in the it, hundreds of dollars a year. And yeah, well, people some, pay it. Some people buy online newspapers for like a, a buck a day or something. Or, or Yeah, I mean, like you basically, let me, I forget how much. I mean, I have, I, I can give you examples. For example, I, I, I subscribe to a few um, European racing there used to be magazines and now they're just online and when i go online they give you like you know everybody gives you like five articles free or something yeah it's 370 dollars a year yeah for basically the a financial times yeah basically a buck a day That's yeah or 30 bucks a month and yeah. so they charge 30 dollars a month and most people say i don't want to pay 30 dollars a month right fine but that's not their audience well, but no exactly but that's the thing that that you say okay well i have a hundred thousand let's say just throw a number a hundred thousand readers that potentially could be consumers, whatever, that I can put my products in front of them for when, I, when it's free, and then when I start yeah, charging. Yeah, okay, okay. So then when I start okay. charging, those 100,000 become like 20,000. So I Yeah, have but hold on. What most newsletters do is they don't make all the content Right, paid. they combine, yeah. If you do three newsletters a week, normally what they do is one is free, the other two are paid, right? Something like that. Um, and so that's... A very simple method. So you still have one free week for all the people who have never heard of you and are just reading. They can read it first or they can get a month free, a week free, two weeks free, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. There's a million models for this. But ultimately, yeah, like if you want people to pay for it, you need to provide a tremendous amount of value for them to want to pay you 20 bucks a month for your content when we live in a world of infinite content, right? And it's very possible. There's tons of people doing it. Um, but yeah, you need to provide value. I, my thing was the, when the ones who are doing it successfully, that that charge 15 bucks a month, I think they should be charging 50 bucks a month. Um, because if you have, especially depending on the audience, but it's like a lot of them are in like business audience and their, uh, subscribers are all like executives. I'm like, dude, they can afford the 50 bucks a month. They would gladly pay it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if you're asking, should you sell products to that audience or should you do a subscription? I mean, you got to do your numbers. You got to see what is more lucrative. You can do both. You don't have to limit yourself. Right. Is the is the the dilemma of quality versus quantity? And then, do you want to have a, a smaller pool of very quality, high quality, loyal customers that are subscribers and they get these advantages with your products or services? Or do you rather have a massive quantity of readers, subscribers, consumers? that maybe only one to five percent are actually consuming your products or being buyers so uh but that's something that happens a lot that customers or clients actually um want to get to that situation where we say they say hey i like to have these things so i can basically the goal is increase your to increase your customer lifetime value and we know that when people subscribe to something it's very because of the friction is very difficult or is challenging for them to unsubscribe. Even if you say you can unsubscribe anytime, blah, 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 all that stuff, you know that they're going to end up paying more. I mean, it starts with gym memberships to Netflix subscriptions, whatever. Yeah, well, just don't be an asshole. No, make no. Make it easy for people to unsubscribe. No, I mean, even if you make it simple, it's like you forget and then before you do it, you get another product next month or something. I mean, you like the product, it's fine, but... You know, everybody wants to know a, a lot of evaluation for these companies is based on the subscriptions and the, and the customers they have that are, you know, uh, 
secure revenue, so to speak. You know, yeah, the churn. Right. Exactly. That's yeah. the term. So, so high churn. Well, then you need to reevaluate your content because it's probably not that valuable to people. Right. Right. Uh, and and some customers are very kind of. I wouldn't say conservative, but they're kind of uh, hesitant of making the move to say, you know, now I'm going to start charging or provide to my customers saying, hey, we're changing our model. Now we're going to be a subscription-only model or something. And, and uh, you know, like you can only access this if you subscribe. We'll give you a month free or something, but then you cannot just buy this in the store or buy one or two, so you need to become a member or something like that, you know. So, I mean... It's, it's one of those questions that, like you said, you need to do your numbers, but it's also, I, I can see how some customers are a little more hesitant because they have something that is already working and they try to make it a little better, but it may backfire. So, um, yeah, but also if, you, if, if we're talking content, um, you know, if, if people pay for it, the answer of will people pay for it or not basically tells you how valuable your content is to them. Um, if you're hesitant because you think, oh, I don't think people are going to be willing to pay for it, well, then that basically tells you how good your content is. And that means not that good. Good enough that people will consume it if it's free, which, hey, that's already, it's hard enough to get people to consume your stuff for free, right? But if you can make something so valuable that they pay for it, mm -hmm. well, that's a real moneymaker. But it's hard, of right. course. I mean, we live in a world of infinite content. So for, to get people to pay you 20 bucks a month for your content yeah, you have to be providing something that's very unique and different that they're not getting elsewhere. All right, one final question that um, also comes up frequently is uh, the value of um, email marketing. And it's amazing because email marketing has been the oldest form of marketing for a long, long time. Since people, since email started, people were just gathering emails for subscribers, for sign up to get this, sign up to get that, newsletters, you know, get information, all the stuff like we're saying. And... Uh, after all these years, email marketing still is one of the most relevant marketing channels when we're talking about multi-channel approach. I mean, everybody is, you go to websites, you always have a pop-up, subscribe here, subscribe that. They want your email address just to be able to connect with you, you know. Um, so how much value do you see these days on email marketing? Like, by the numbers, obviously, is successful. I mean, even if you have a... 1% conversion rate, okay? Let's say that you that you send the email to, and we do that ourselves, actually. You send the email to 10,000 people, and you have a 10, 15% um, open rate, okay? Which is pretty decent. Um, so you get 1,500 people from those 10,000 to actually open your email. And then from those guys, you get um, uh, maybe 5% click-through rate, which is another, you have 1,500, that's about 550 people or so that, that will actually, um, uh, 50, 75 people, whatever, that will actually click through to buy something. So you end up from, from 10,000 people that you send the email to, maybe 50, 75 that actually do click through and buy something or convert to whatever you're selling. So those are good numbers. I mean, obviously, it depends on what you're selling and your profit margins, but still, it works. That's why I think... Wow. most of the companies are so, uh, you know, persistent in still getting customers' email addresses and, and be able to market them. And obviously you want to spam them, but you create some emails that are more content-driven, like informational, and some others are more bottom of the funnel, which is to get them to buy something. But I think email marketing 
to me, is still one of the most valuable and cost-effective ways to market your products, basically. Because it really, with the email marketing services that we have these days, the, the, the service providers that provide these, uh, like the MailChimp's constant contacts and, and tons of those, really the cost per customer to send an email is very, very little compared to what you can get in between, com compared to any other kind of, uh, form of advertising, including paid ads with Facebooks and Googles and everything else. So is that is that your understanding too, as far as email marketing? Yeah, of course. I mean, that's why everybody does it. I mean, because once you have someone's email, they've already filtered themselves, right? Because if it's much different than like a Facebook ad, obviously, because this is someone who probably went to your website, maybe they add products to their cart and didn't check out, or maybe they just uh, signed up for your email with a pop-up or something. But yeah, obviously if they do that, that's they're already showing a certain amount of interest. So of course they're gonna convert higher than a cold lead uh, from somewhere else. Um, yeah, of course email works great. Yeah, you should definitely focus on your email. I think most companies, it depends. It, it totally depends on your brand, how you do it. I think some companies are too much, like, like they just send way too many emails. Um, but also, they probably do it because it works. I mean, uh, I don't know. I, I I don't know the internal metrics of all these yeah, companies. I think, like, there's I think, companies that I get a ton of emails from that I end up unsubscribing. But maybe they know. Hey, yeah, a lot of people are gonna unsubscribe, but we don't care. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, some companies send a lot of emails. Like, I get sometimes daily emails from some companies, but I do think not enough companies focus on um, uh, the value part. They just look at email as pure selling and that's fine. I mean, listen, you can sell a lot through email, so that's why they do it. I just think that most companies should balance it a little bit that mm -hmm. you shouldn't send me five emails in a row that are just trying to sell me something. You should probably right. balance it out. Right, that's but, why I say content-driven emails or information on your or whatever that is valuable for the customer without selling them anything specifically, and then you basically the the second third email is actually a product-based email or service. But it depends it. too. Like if it's a marketplace, um, I mean, like one company that I get a ton of emails from is the Real Real, which is like a mm -hmm. luxury yeah. uh, reselling marketplace, and it's like. But, you know, I subscribe to them, be, I mean, just because I've bought from them before, and so I have, I'm on their list, and it's like, okay, they send me stuff that, hey, you're probably going to be interested in this, and a lot of times I am, right? So, um, it works. If they started sending me lots of non-product emails, it might annoy me, because I'm like, eh, I'm not really interested, just tell me if you have something cool that I'm going to like that's on sale. Yeah. So, to, I think it depends who you are and what you sell. To me, actually, maybe it's because we're in the, in the marketing industry, one of the things that makes me unsubscribe from emails more than anything else, even more than frequency actually, is the actual email design format. There are some emails that are so crappy looking. I mean, they're so unattractive that I don't care what they sell. If they put so little effort in creating their email, to me, that's a turn off right away. You know, some other companies send me emails, like I said, daily, but they look, they look very nice. You know, I mean, I have a full company. Actually, I think it's a restaurant that sells me emails every morning at the same time, every morning I see it like first thing in the morning and I see this beautiful crafted email with beautiful shots of food and products and all the stuff. I just look at it, you know, just, just because I say, wow, that's good. That's, I like this design. I like this idea. I like this font. I like this. And then I don't act on it because I'm not going to buy anything, but, uh, but I just like the design, you know, I like it's, it's more of a, a pleasing thing, you know, than just getting the other crappy email. I sold text and 
some things don't work, pictures missing, and uh, yeah, I mean, if they're doing that stuff, then they're right clowns. So they, I, need I to think get their email marketing right, but these days the, that's not that hard. I mean, just use a system like Clavio or something, and, and it doesn't take a genius to set. No, that up. well, it does apparently because I mean, I see companies using very <laughs> established email marketing systems, but you still need to design the email, and then they don't test them on different platforms, whatever. But they come all out of whack. So. Anyways, uh, one final question for you. Third final question. I know. You're giving me. No, no, no. This is a one final thing. Um, let's say you sell a product, a consumable product, okay, and um, and you have a limited budget. Basically, you can't. You can have a budget that you can split into multi-channel. Like let's say you go to Google advertising and Facebook and Instagram and, and YouTube and email marketing, all that stuff. And um, basically, you you dilute the effectiveness of your marketing budget because you really don't go, like you said, you don't go deep into being able to take advantage of your advertising effort, you know, because it's so little that you don't get the algorithms to work for you. Or you say, I'm just going to try one channel. I'm trying to... Uh, I would definitely do one channel. Right, exactly. Not a so, question. Well, no, I understand that. But my question to you is not the one channel. It's... Which channel will you do when you choose when it's a consumable product? What consumable product? Um, let's just say, for example, it's a food product. Okay. Let's say is it's it a food product that people can subscribe to. Okay. Is it a, a premium food product, a cheap food product? No, a premium, uh, a premium food product, delivery product, health-conscious product. Uh, you know, like we have, I don't want to name names, but there's companies that sell... Um, uh, organic type food or some kind of niche or some kind of uh, product to sell uh, via mail delivery and it comes right to your doorstep and you don't have to go to a store and it's organic, it's totally GMO free, very healthy and all that stuff. And uh, and you are, you, you, you're based on a subscriber base that are buying your products on a, on a monthly basis or something, but you want to get more subscribers. What advertising channel would you choose if you only have one uh, a, a limited budget or a budget that you don't want to dilute that you just want to use one channel we use advertising like paid ads paid ads of course yes mm, probably if it's food uh instagram works pretty well for food it's very visual um um like a picture and video uh depending on what it is you can show people making things with the food or creating different dishes with the food, depending on what it is, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, Instagram's good for that. Or uh, for paid, I probably wouldn't, well, again, it depends on the budget, but if they're limited, uh, for food, visual is very good. Right. So I would do visual, so Instagram and YouTube, maybe. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's for food, because it's very visual, and people can, mm -hmm. you can do a lot of beautiful things with food. And that entices people. Um, but yeah, I, probably that if it's paid. I would also do a lot of organic too, though. Mm -hmm. Instagram and YouTube. I think that will be a good base. And then a newsletter on top of that. Okay. So if you do those three things, you can do that with a limited budget. At the end of the day, if you have a limited budget, then you just need to focus a lot on your organic. Like well, you either have right, time right, or right. you have money. So if you don't have money, you just got to spend a lot of time. Sure. And you got to make a lot of great content. That's, that's definitely, I mean, well, uh, that's the situation with a lot of clients that they... they maybe, depending on the mark, the, the target audience, maybe Pinterest too. Okay. If it's women, um, Pinterest would work too for food. 
if it's not women, if it's like a more of a men's food type product, then I wouldn't do Pinterest. But if it's women, right, I, I agree with you. I think um, I think you create a lot of visual content, uh, nice photography, but especially like short videos that can work on Instagram, and then you can multi. You could, I mean, even multi-purpose into YouTube, but then you can if, link them to Inst- uh, Pinterest and things like that. If the person is savvy and knows how to make something that can. Um, is up with trends on TikTok, then they could do TikTok videos too. Hmm. And the nice thing with TikTok is there's always a chance that one of them could pop. Um, I wouldn't do that, like put all my eggs in the TikTok basket, but if you make- You're talking TikTok organic or advertising? Yeah, organic. Yeah, okay. No, no, I wouldn't do TikTok ads. I mean, first of all, their ad platform is super basic right now, mm-hmm. and they, I think they're still not even allowing a lot of advertisers, but um, I would just do TikTok organic. Um, but I, that would be supplementary. That wouldn't be my main focus. But if you wanted to do that in addition, but again, there's a certain savviness that I think everybody's tr- trying to do TikTok now because it's the latest hot thing. But um, speaking of, do you know that TikTok surpassed Instagram in daily users? Um, yeah, I, I think, think it was just now. I just read that like last week, which is that pretty, doesn't surprise me. Right. Uh, it doesn't surprise me either. Even though is that I'm in the U.S. That. or worldwide? Or I what? think it's in the U.S. I, you know what? I don't know exactly. I read the headline saying that uh, it was the first time that TikTok just surpassed Instagram in uh, daily users. But I don't know if it was worldwide or the U.S. I would imagine it's in the U.S. But I will. I, I'm gonna look it up. I'm curious now. But yeah, that's pretty interesting too. Yeah, the great thing about TikTok is that you can that. Uh, their algorithm works. So mm-hmm. you don't need any followers, you don't need to pay, and you can post something. And how, the, how they do it is, I, I believe what they do, this might have changed, and it's kind of changing, but they basically show it to 100 people. So every time you upload a video, 100 people see it, and based on the engagement rate, so that's likes, shares, comments, things mm-hmm. like that, it'll show it to maybe a few hundred more people than a few thousand, and it goes from there. And if you keep hitting these certain benchmarks mm-hmm. of engagement rates, then your video can pop, basically. Right. And that's how it works. But obviously, if you make it and it's a boring video, then the, it just disappears, right? And nobody right, sees it. Right. So Yeah, and you can. And the good thing, too, is that after like two, three days after but, you post the video, you can find out if it's going to make it or not. But the, because you know, the beautiful thing about TikTok is you can just make a lot of them. Mm-hmm. I've, <laughs> I've been monitoring because, um, you know, Instagram pages are big as far as theme pages. Right. I've been monitoring a lot of TikTok theme pages and seeing how people are navigating it. And a lot of these pages, they upload like 10 videos a day. Mm-hmm. And most of them get like, you know, they already have a decent following. So they'll get a few thousand views or whatever. Or, or let's say you have like a page with like a million followers that they already had from Instagram, right? Um, most of their videos get like 10, 20, 30,000 views. But they upload like 10 a day. But one of them will pop and get 3 million views. Does and TikTok, that's all they care about. Does TikTok have the separation between personal profiles I mean, personal pages and um, company pages. Not really, no. So you create a, uh, an account, basically, yeah, just for an whatever. Account. There's no difference. Yeah. Okay. And do companies set up accounts for the company so they are kind of personal? Yeah, yeah. They yeah. do. Yeah. Okay, I need to check. I, I, I mean, I have an account, but I don't check it. I have to confess. But um, uh, it's, it's very addictive, though. When you go to TikTok, you can spend, like, <laughs> easily a half an hour just Honestly, scrolling. <laughs> I think a good arbitrage is especially if you're older listening to this and you don't really understand TikTok, you should go and it, if you have a product and basically give it to uh, find people on TikTok with anywhere from uh, 10 to like 100,000 followers, just send them your product 
and say, I'll give you money to basically, someone will just do it for free if you send them their product right. or just pay them a little bit of money. It doesn't have to be a lot. It could be 20, 50 bucks, whatever, mm -hmm. and just make TikToks. And then they will do it much better than you will probably if you're not savvy with TikTok. And then all you need is one of those videos to pop and it's surprisingly sure. easy, actually. It's, it's right. shockingly easy. Yeah, I, I do know, I do think TikTok influencer marketing is really uh, a good viable option more than actually paid marketing because like you said, the platform is very, very yeah. basic and you cannot really target the audience that you want, whereas an influencer already has the audience that I you... I mean, TikTok paid marketing, I think is gonna be much better. It's just early. In the future, right. It's just early, that's right, all. Right, right. And it's working for some companies, it is, but uh, I'm, so if, if you're going to invest money in TikTok, I would just go all organic instead of paid. All right, very good. So we're going to wrap it up for today. Um, this was a quick, well, not so quick, uh, a little long, actually, um, <laughs> dissertation on uh, e-com tactics. And uh, um, just to recap quickly, um, we were talking about uh, some kind of uh, linear e-commerce where you have an audience and you uh, develop the audience first and then you start selling the different products or services to your audience or the other traditional way which is when you develop a product or products and then you build the audience to buy your products and obviously there's a lot of spectrum in between of companies that do both and which is usually um, the, the more successful way when you start kind of moving towards the middle and then you have both audience and products that can basically uh, you can monetize um, that's it for today uh, for more information about this, please visit us on uh, YouTube and uh, or our website, mgragency.com. You can find links to all the channels there. For sure, you have a lot of information on e-commerce, digital marketing, everything that we discussed. Uh, you can also email us directly. Uh, leave us comments on whatever channel you find us. We always reply if it's a reasonable comment or question. If it's junk, obviously, we throw it away. And uh, one final thing, you can just, uh, you find this remotely interesting for you, just uh, share it with one friend or colleague and I will really appreciate it. Uh, we just basically do this to be helpful and informative to um, some of our clients and friends. So with that said, we'll talk to you all next week. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye.